0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. So we're up to the sermon part of our time together now, the Bible teaching, the main Bible teaching talk, where we really drill into a bit of God's word In fact, that bit that Ruth just read to us, the the John passage, the passage from John's Gospel, um, John's Gospel, this biography of Jesus from the time of Jesus, written by John, as in one of Jesus' companions, his friends, while he was still, while Jesus was still on earth. Uh, now, in a moment or in a few moments, we'll pray and we'll get into that passage. But before we do, I'd like to, um, I'd like to get us chewing over a question. And the question is this What is the thing That makes the difference in life? What is the thing that makes the difference in life? And as a way into that question, let me give you an example, a slightly smaller, narrower example uh, by asking you this, what made the difference in Kirk Hammett's life? specifically in his rise to fame, uh, in him becoming the giant in the metal hall of fame that he is today. Let me paint you the picture, perhaps you've not heard of Kirk Hammett, uh, perhaps unlike me, you weren't a um, uh, you know teenager in the 90s. Anyway, um, so uh, let me paint the picture for you. Kirk Hammett, as a 16 year old uh, guitarist, started a little band called Exodus in 1979. Exodus were based in San Francisco, which was sort of the right place at the right time in a way. They proved an influential little band in the Bay Area music scene, Exodus. Um, Over the coming years, they did pretty well. So, more than once, more than once, Exodus found themselves supporting another Californian band. You might have heard of them, Metallica. Uh, But even Metallica were only small fry at the time. You see, thrash hadn't broken through. This was still the early 80s, late 70s, Um, so it was still a niche thing, it was still a small movement. Now, fast forward to May 1983, May 1983, Hammett was still leading and playing in Exodus, meanwhile Metallica were very much on the up and on tour, they were on tour in New York, in Rochester in New York, uh, and I think the best way to put it is that the other members of Metallica had had a gutful of Dave Mustaine's drug and alcohol abuse. It had got out of hand, it was tearing the band apart, that had one bass player leave uh, uh, already. So the three other members of Metallica, get this, they literally bought Mustaine a bus ticket home to California from the other side of the country. So they drove him to the Greyhound station Um, sacked him from the band and Mustaine was off the tour, he was out of their way, he was out of their band, leaving a gaping hole, the gaping hole of one of the most talented guitarists on the planet at the time. Mess of a man, mean guitarist. That afternoon, Metallica got on the phone. Now, have a listen to this. Kirk Hammett received a phone call from Metallica the same afternoon, even though he'd never left California before. Hammett gathered together some money and flew out to New York for an audition. As soon as Hammett arrived in New York, he was instantly asked to join the band. Uh, Folks, just one more piece of the puzzle. Have you figured out what made the difference in Kirk Hammett's life yet? Have a listen to this. One would assume that this was the moment Hammett had been waiting for his whole life. Indeed, it was. Within a few short years, it would be one of the biggest bands in the world, eventually selling more than 100 million albums. It was around this time though that Kirk came to what must have been a humbling realisation that despite his years of playing and being invited to join Metallica, he wasn't as good as he'd like to be. At his home in San Francisco he looked for a guitar teacher, who did he find? A bloke named Joe Satriani, he was the deal with that. Satriani's system was clear that there would be weekly lessons, that these lessons must be learned and if they weren't, that Hammett was wasting everyone's time and needn't bother coming back. So, for the next two years, Kirk did as Satriani required, returning every week for objective feedback, judgment and drilling in technique and musical theory for the instrument he would soon be playing in front of thousands, then tens of thousands And then literally hundreds of thousands of people. Folks, what do you put it down to in Kirk Hammett's life? What made the difference in the life of of that young man and what made him the metal icon that he is today? Was it the invitation? Plain and simple, right? I mean, how many people get an invitation to play in what would become one of the biggest bands on the planet? Was it the lessons? Couldn't have done it without the lessons with Joe Satriani, one of the, uh, a virtuoso himself, but an amazing uh, teacher. Was it just time and place? You know, right time, right place. Exodus were a band that had, had supporting gigs, so it wasn't like Metallica didn't know them already. Folks, here's the thing: in so many areas of life, you cannot reduce it just down to one thing, down to one factor. You know, there's a million factors. What made the difference in Kirk Hammett's life? Who knows? But today I want to ask you a bigger question, what will make the difference in your life? Not just professionally or musically or in this little area, no, but the big questions, you and God and life and death, what makes the difference in your life? Is it like Hammett? Well, all sorts of factors, you know, a baptism now and some kind of experience later, a tragedy down the road that caused you to dwell a bit more deeply on life, that trip to Nepal or the visit to the guru or whatever, you know, lots of factors. Folks, from the words of Jesus today and especially in John 17 as we're about to go there, I want to argue that actually no, when it comes to you and God, when it comes to life and death, there is one thing, And only one thing, actually, that can and that will make the difference. Could we say a prayer and then we'll we'll come to John 17. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we pray to you this morning, just as our Lord Jesus prayed to you all those years ago. And God, today we ask that you give us clear heads and keen minds to grasp not just the meaning of these words but also their significance for us today, here and now. God in heaven, please give us grit to face up to areas in our lives that perhaps need reappraisal or reconsidering or just changing. Uh, We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you where I'm going. I've basically got three points to help us answer our question, three points to answer our question that I reckon flow out of Jesus' Uh, Words of prayer here to God in John 17, let me tell you what the three are up front. Firstly, knowing Jesus is the thing that will make the difference, knowing Jesus is the thing that makes the difference between you and God and life and death. Second, being known by Jesus, being known by Jesus, known by God, that's what really makes the difference stick, can I put it that way? Uh, Being known by God becomes this anchor uh, through thick and thin, even more solid than your knowing Him, which sometimes feels like it wavers, is His knowing you. And lastly, making Jesus known. Becomes the difference that people around us then come to see in our lives. So knowing Jesus, being known by him, and making him known. Shall we pick it up in John chapter 17, verse 6? I'd love you to read along with me. The words will come up on the screen behind me. If you're someone who likes to have a Bible in your lap, you can jump up and grab one from the trolley um, just in the foyer on the top shelf there. But the words will come up behind me. John 17, verse 6. Have you got that there in front of you? Uh, So John 17, verse 6. I, I, Jesus, have revealed you, that's God the Father, so I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you for I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. So I want to say that knowing Jesus and hearing about Him, knowing about Him, grasping the actual, you know, from God truth about Jesus, that is the thing that makes the difference in your life between you and God, between life and death and that's the way Jesus saw it with His first followers. They're the people who Um, know that I gave them, uh, 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 I gave them the words and they accepted them, they knew with certainty, they believed that you sent me. Do you see the first disciples of Jesus, the 11 men with him there in that garden that night. So knowing Jesus, knowing him like they knew him, that's what can make the difference in your life, do you see. Uh, Now could we just zoom out for a moment um, from this little story because I feel like we've just kind of dived you know we've jumped straight into the middle of this prayer in fact into the middle of this story I wonder can you what can you tell me about when Jesus spoke these words what can you tell me about that so we know that they're they're a prayer to God I've been saying that we know that they're during his earthly life like yes Jesus is alive now but this is the story of his earthly life when he was still on the planet what else can you tell me I wonder about the setting uh, that he spoke these words in. You see, you may not realise it, uh, especially if you've, um, you know, not been here the last few weeks, but he spoke these words on the eve of his death, right before he died. Uh, We've been reading about it here over the last weeks here at church, just in the bits beforehand and this is the bit that we're up to this week. Um, He's on the day before he died and he knew it, Did you realize? We are so close now in the story, that is, to the moment where Judas Iscariot comes into the garden to betray Jesus with a kiss. We are hours, perhaps only minutes away from the moment where Jesus will go into the custody of the Romans. He will die hanging from a cross within a single day, ladies and gentlemen. And he knew it. He saw it coming. He could see it ahead and he told his friends about it if only they would understand. Jesus was about to go the way, in other words. Jesus was about to take the journey that we're all going to have to face sooner or later. He was about to walk that lonely road that every single one of us one day will walk and that we have to walk alone. You and me, he was about to collide with that wall that we call death in that full and final way that will take each of us at some point. Except in Jesus' case, of course, it wasn't final. Yes, he went, and yes, he walked, and yes, he collided, but in his case, and in his case alone, death couldn't hold him down. We call it resurrection, we call it life from the dead. So when Jesus talks, you see, about all those who belong to him, people who are his followers, we're talking about people who are able to follow him, not just to death, but beyond. And what is the difference? What is the thing that makes the difference there? Well, there are people who know him, do you see? I gave them the truth about me, they've seen the truth in my life, they know and believe and accept and embrace. Now before I hit the second, um, second point, so we, we're talking about knowing Jesus as the thing that makes the difference, before we move on, can I just notice what he doesn't say is the thing that makes the difference. He doesn't say that the thing that will make the difference in your life is uh, baptism, that that's the thing that'll make the difference in your life and if you've got that, then you're sorted. He doesn't say, well, they went to church their whole lives every week consistently. I mean, of course, yeah, he couldn't say that because church didn't exist yet but you know what I mean. He doesn't say, well, they're just the nicest people that I could find and so, of course, they're going to follow me. No, no, in fact, if you read the Gospel stories of Jesus, I'm not sure that he did pick the nicest people that he could have found. He doesn't say well their parents believed and so they got to come in as well and maybe uh, whether perhaps you're a person who uh, just doesn't really know much about Jesus or, or um, you know just hasn't learned about him, hasn't grown up with him, I, I think there's, there's a real challenge for us here isn't there? It's not all those trappings of religion that Jesus sees as the things that makes the difference, it's no, do my disciples, do they know me? because that's what makes them one of my followers. And I think there's a challenge for us all here, whether perhaps for the person who doesn't know Jesus so well, uh, or for those of us who attempted to think maybe my just coming to church regularly, maybe that's the thing, uh, let me lay down the gauntlet to all of us, let's get to know Jesus. If that's the thing that makes the difference, let's get to know Jesus and maybe that will mean coming to church or maybe that will mean coming along to that basics of Christianity thing that I'm doing um, after Easter. It could be that those things help make the difference, not because church makes the difference, not because a, a Bible study course makes the difference, no, but because knowing Jesus makes the difference and if those things help you to do that, then you should get involved in them. Anyway, there's the thought. So knowing Jesus is the thing that makes the difference in your life. Secondly, second thing from here, We've already hinted at this actually in the bit that we read just then. Um, Yes, knowing Jesus is the thing that makes the difference. But from the other point of view, do you realise when you're really up against it, the thing that makes the difference is the other side of the equation. Not just that you know him, but that he knows you. Uh, in fact, I'd argue that's the heart of the prayer, wouldn't it be? How would you summarise the prayer that um, the whole thing that Ruth read to us before? I'd summarise it like this. What do you think of this? I'd summarise it like this. God, when my followers are up against it in life and in death, when they don't know which way is up, God, I still know them and you still know them. We know them. So let's make sure that they make it through. I reckon that's Jesus' prayer in a nutshell, isn't it? to his heavenly Father, for these believers that are around him. Is that fair to say? So back in verse 6, we had this. um, Do you remember back in verse 6? I have revealed you, God, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now skip down with me to verse 9. I think we see a similar thing. Verse 9, I pray for them, Jesus says of his disciples. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those you've given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None's been lost except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture would be fulfilled. You know who that's talking about, don't you? That last bit's talking about Judas, you see, even Judas. Jesus saw it all coming and he saw that they were going to be up against it, didn't he? Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Now, Christian here this morning, brothers and sisters, I wonder, do you really hold on to that truth? As a, as a firm anchor for your faith, not just that you know Him but that He knows you. Do you really hold on to that, that you belong to Him, they are yours, Father? Have you taken hold of those words of our Lord as He prepared to leave His disciples alone in the world and as, and as He, soon to be alone, went to the cross Himself? This is Jesus' prayer, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. See, I do wonder sometimes whether that is quite the posture that we imagine that Jesus has towards us when we're up against it. Is that the posture that you believe Jesus has towards you, O child of God, this morning? That you are loved, that you're valued, that you're known, that he sees you right where you are? Um, Perhaps some of us, is this true, can you relate to this, some of us I wonder, do we conjure up this image of Jesus that actually He's a pretty harsh taskmaster, you know? And even when you're up against it and when you're down and even when you're going to the wall, what what is Jesus, what's the posture that we imagine Jesus in? Well, He's kicking, He's got the red pen out, He's got the clipboard in hand and He's there to see where you're failing and what you're stuffing up now. Is that the posture that we imagine that the Lord Jesus has towards us, those for whom he went to the wall? I want us to know, brothers and sisters, and especially as we face that bigger question, that biggest question of death and the end, that's where Jesus was headed in this passage. I want us to know, they were yours, you gave them to me, says Jesus to God. And so now, what does he ask? protect them. That's interesting, it's a totally different posture, He is with us, He is for us, He knows us, He sees us and He has a burden for us that we would be protected, not not protected from death as you'll see, as we'll see but even in the face of it. Lastly then, lastly, uh, it's almost inevitable actually, they know Him and that makes all the difference, they're known by Him And so he is their anchor, he is their compass, he will be their heading um, in life, no matter what they have to go through. But publicly, the outer face will be, well, they'll get on and make him known, won't they? What a saviour he is. Because we're going to want to tell the world, aren't we? From verse 13, pick it up with me from verse 13, little number 13 in the text. I, uh, Jesus, I, Jesus, am coming to you God, now, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, so I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Guys, what on earth does sanctify mean? (laughs) Am I right? He says it four times there in those last couple of sentences. What does sanctify mean? Is that an odd word? Um, And I wonder, is that your question? Sanctify. I mean, it sounds kind of like, what do you think it means? It sounds kind of like sanctimonious, doesn't it? That kind of, you know, holier than now um, sort of thing, that's not what it means, it doesn't mean make them holier than now. It sounds like a very religious-y word, doesn't it? Um, You know, I mean, who even says sanctify anymore except those old Mississippi blues men? Uh, Perhaps to the regulars here, sanctify, yep, we know what sanctify means, Uh, like he's saying, make them better you know, morally and personally sanctify them to be more like Jesus in their day-to-day lives, is that what it means? Um, Folks, I want to tell you, it's not even quite that, that's not even quite it. To sanctify, it's, it's a very simple word as far as the Bible uses it, to sanctify means to set something apart for God, to set a thing apart for God, to make it separate for God, out of all the world, God. Set them apart for yourself, do you see? Set them aside, keep them aside, do it by the gospel, do it by the truth, the words that you've given me, that's what will make the difference in their lives, the truth about Jesus. Set them apart, they don't even belong to the world anymore in a sense but what are they going to be doing? If God God does set them apart, what are they going to be doing? Well, verse 17, so sanctify them, set them apart, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, here we go, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Folks, especially um, uh, guests here this morning, visitors, um, maybe folks who, uh, you know, you, you have some Christian friends, but um, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian necessarily. Let let me ask you this, why is it that those Christians that you know, why do they seem to want everyone to be like them, (laughs) to be like us, to, to go to their church, to like their Jesus, to come on over to their side, to our side? Why is that? The thought that I want to leave us with is a pretty simple one and it's this, when you find the thing that makes the difference in life, No, not just a difference in some little area, uh, you know, your professional life, your musical life, whatever. No, no, not a hundred little things that lead to professional success or musical success or becoming Kirk Hammett or whatever and all the factors that go along with that. No, no, but when you find the one thing, that one Jesus who makes the difference between you and God, between life and death, the difference that will sustain you when you are up against it, a God who stands with you with more grit and more guts than you ever seem to be able to muster for yourself and and He has got you to the very end. I just want to say, you'd be a mug to keep that to yourself, wouldn't you? Uh, you'd be a mug to keep that, but you'd be an even bigger mug to see it, to find it and then to walk on by thinking that you'd be better off without it. As God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world to make him known and, and, and to make the difference in the lives of men and women, so Jesus has sent his disciples, has sent us into, into the world carrying that truth of what makes the difference in people's lives. That's what we've got in our very heart and hands and mouths. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, our God who knows us, who knows our past, who knows our passions, our God who knows our failings, our sins, our regrets, the things that we can never undo, and you know our fears and you know what lies ahead. God in heaven, we pray for ourselves today that when we are up against it, that we'd lean on you, our Father, and on the Lord Jesus. May we know and trust you through thick and thin. Would you hold on to us, whatever comes? Would you protect us from floundering and faltering when the bottom drops out of life. God in heaven, we pray particularly for Macy this morning. Would you use her parents to raise her that as soon as she knows anything really, that she'd know herself a child in the care of her heavenly Father who will never let her go. We pray too, Father, for any here who in their heart and mind, they reckon it's time to take action, to get to know Jesus once and for all. God, make that happen please. Clear the way. Don't let obstacles or practicalities impede that, we ask, but work by your Spirit within them to stir up not just curiosity, but even faith and a new walk with you. Lastly, God, we pray for our world, our world around us. We are but beggars searching for food and we've found it. Please, may we have the heart to share it with people around us, sensitively. Open up opportunities for that, we ask God. May Christ's fame resonate out from us in words, in deeds, in everything, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.